Are you looking to grow revenues, increase profitability, or obtain financing? If so, you came to the right place. Running a business is all about leadership. How do you become a better leader? Learn from the successful entrepreneurs and business owners how to lead your organization more effectively. That's why we created Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business, to help you succeed with your host, Andrew Frazier, Business Growth Pro and CFO and founder of the Small Business Pro University. Every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern, we're joined by experienced entrepreneurs and business owners who share their secrets to success via live stream. Also, every Friday morning, we release a new podcast episode. Either way, you will learn about developing your business leadership skills from our roster of highly performing guest experts. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com. Welcome back to Leadership Live at 805. I'm your host, Andrew Frazier, and I'm excited to just hang out with you again this evening. Talking small business. Um, each week we have a great guest, and I'm really excited about the topic today because you know it's something that I really like to focus on, and that's about becoming more profitable. Um, you know, it's great to sell a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, it's how much you make and how much your profits are that matters the most. So we're going to talk about you know a little bit how you can be more profitable and optimize your business to do that, and also that will help you to be able to scale and really take your business to the next level. So um, definitely looking forward to a great conversation today. T today, my guest is Anthony Nitzos. He's um, worked with a lot of businesses and helped them to scale. Um, you know, he has an expertise uh, like I do on the financial management side and really how to optimize and understand and run your business by the numbers. Uh, but he also has a lot of experience in technology. He's worked in with a lot of different SaaS. Um, and for those that don't know what SaaS means, it's software as a service. And really, um, a lot of business, many things are going to that format because it's easier to scale. And plus, it creates a lot of value for um, for their clients. So, um, so let me bring on Anthony. Um, so... Hey, Anthony, how are you doing? Hey, Andrew, thank you. Okay, great. Thanks for, for joining me. I know you have a long day, but, um, you know, as I can see from your background, it's still daylight. So, <laughs> you know, it's like sort of like you might be in Alaska where you have like um, days that last, you know, 30 days of light and then 30 days of darkness or, or whatever. So, not quite. We're a little, we're a little bit far north in, in Michigan. I, I hail from Ann Arbor, so we're not quite to the Arctic Circle, but getting close. Okay, great. Well, thanks for joining. Um, and I just want to thank everybody in the audience for joining as well. So, Anthony, you know, you've done a lot of things, you know, you had a journey through different areas and learned a whole lot. Can you just talk a little bit about sort of where you came, where you came from, and sort of how you got to where you are? Well, it it kind of started off in a place that <clears throat> is absolutely completely unrelated to finance per se. Um, I actually started as a medical student. 
Um, and, you know, as the journey progressed through the medical school, I realized that this really was not where I belonged. And so I had a very tough choice to make at that point um, and, you know, where to go. Um, and so I left medical school and I man, you know, because I'm in Michigan and Michigan is a heavily manufacturer oriented, you know, economy, you know, the first place I landed was a job in, you know, a manufacturing company. And <clears throat> I found myself taking a lot of the training of the science and systems and interrelationships and how things work together in an optimal way, you know, from the, the human medicine that I studied and applying that to, you know, a factory. And the translation really wasn't that hard at all, because if you think about it, you know, corporations, the word itself means body. We've created these um, these beings, if you will, and they have all these interrelated parts and interlocking parts and making them work together really efficiently and optimizing them for performance is the key to, you know, really squeezing every dollar out of the revenue stream that you have and keeping it in the bottom line. So started off in manufacturing processes and systems and controls and then moved into IT. Um, so heavily into, you know, back in the days, there were these things called uh, the Y2K problem which everybody had this problem thinking that their software code was going to blow up at the year 2000. And so everybody and their brother was scrambling to get these ERP systems. If you've heard of ERP, that's enterprise resource planning. They're these massive software systems that control everything. And so I spent a lot of time working on implementing those. And that really added to the, you know, the interrelatedness of systems and really adding that on top of, you know, the medical training. And then from there, I progressed into, you know, another manufacturing. This time I really started to work on the finance and accounting side. So I became a controller for a Japanese company. And you want to talk about folks that squeeze every last drop of profit out of uh, a system. They are the, you know, they are the masters at it. And at that point, I became uh, a Six Sigma black belt and really helped scale this company. This was the first time where I scaled a company by adding what I call as the zero, the logarithmic scale of taking, in this case, a company that was 5 million in revenue to 50 million inside of three years. And we were able to do that by applying a lot of the technology and systems and the Six Sigma processes and all that. So I was able to take, you know, the entire back office function, which we had about three people at 5 million. And when we were at 50 million, we had the same three people. So we had optimized our systems so well, the data collection so well and the processing so well that there was no need to really increase. And again, in especially in manufacturing, your G&A function, your general and administrative function has to really be very low um, in terms of cost because manufacturing being such a cutthroat business, you know, all that margin, the gross margin that you make on the product that has to support all those other operations. So you want those to be as efficient as possible. And that scaling exercise was also really eye-opening because it nearly failed, um, not in the area that I controlled, but in the other areas where they had not adequately planned for the need for personnel, for example. And so <clears throat> that was a very strong lesson for me when I was going into the future from that point, is when you are doing these kinds of things, it's not just one area you have to plan, it's the entire organization you need to plan, especially the people plan. So after that, um, I decided that accounting was fun, but finance was a lot more fun. Um, and so I went and got an advanced degree in finance, um, took a, a leave of absence overseas, uh, went to St. Andrews, the University of St. Andrews, which is famous for a certain prince having shown up there. Um, but 
These are the folks that almost invented finance. Adam Smith, for example, who is the one who basically invented our modern theory of economics. Um, the train stop was two stops down from, you know, St. Andrews. So this was the Scots are the area where, you know, you really learn a lot. Came back and that's when I started doing the fractional CFO work. So for many years, um, about 15 years, um, 16 now, I've been doing the fractional CFO. And in that period, there were a couple of stints where I actually went full time. And one of them was another company, this time a software company. And it was when I joined it, um, 13 million in revenue and three and a half years later was 150 million in revenue. So again, we had that logarithmic scaling experience of having to build out all of the systems and work in terms of how do we control costs and how do we make sure that as we grow this rapidly, we don't eat our gross margin because that's really where a lot of this, a lot of the focus is in software. It doesn't matter if it's software or manufacturing. So my journey has really been one which is very heavily systems and process orientation. And then the finance and the accounting pieces were added late. And to me, those are, again, just another tool in the toolkit for how do you really maximize the profit? That's pretty much how, where I've gotten to today. Okay, that's great. So, you know, you've done a lot of things, you know, you've spent time in a lot of different areas and, you know, not only have you spent time in it, you've gone and gotten the education to support it, which is, which is great. And, and you have a CPA as well, right? CPA and a CMA. I um, actually got the CMA first okay. um, because in manufacturing, CPAs are okay, but CMAs are really the ones that, you know, dig deep into and really analyze costs. So activity-based costing, manufacturing costing, a lot of that, because again, you're trying to squeeze every little fraction of a penny out of every part that you're sending out the door. So I started off as a CMA. Later on, I did get the CPA because I realized that there was a certain, um, cachet that goes with having that CPA. I think there's a perception that CMAs are just cost accountants. They're not. They're actually quite broadly based, but nobody really recognized that. So, but once the CPA was after my name, suddenly all of them went, oh, you really know numbers now. Like, it's a magic thing. It's like, no, actually it's the same brain. It's the same experience. I just have some other letters after my name now. Um, and I do have advanced degrees in finance and accounting. So, you know, I decided that you know, master's in accounting wasn't enough. I should have a master's in finance to go with it. So just okay. to have a collection. Okay, cool. So no, that's excellent. So we're going to talk about really, we'll start with optimizing because to be able to scale, you really need to optimize first. And yep. then we'll talk about maximizing profitability. So Anthony, um, we're going to start with, you know, optimizing a business. So when you're going to optimize a business, what does that mean? What, what are we doing? To me, optimization really comes down to creating harmony. Um, when you think about your body, right? If there's one part of your body off, it kind of really throws the entire system off. Like say your back, if you have back pain or if you have a headache um, or if you have, say, something wrong with your lungs, it really doesn't matter once one part of you is not working well and it's not working in harmony with the other parts of you, it can throw the entire system off. And businesses are no different. Businesses are exactly the same. So you could have great, for example, you could have great sales leads, right? You have a marketing program, they're knocking it out, they're sending leads over and the sales team gets them and they mess it up, right? They, they, they don't know how to close a deal. So there's a stopper right there. Or let's say marketing is working great and sales is working great, but when it comes to delivery, 
um, your delivery team is suboptimal. And so the customers aren't happy with what they get. And so they don't tell their friends about it or they are, you know, you get no word of mouth or worse yet, you have to do do-overs. Okay. You have to go back in and redo the work. It's called a callback in the, in the construction industry and in manufacturing, it's called, you know, a, a failure. So you really want to take a look at when, when I say optimization, is every part individually itself healthy? And at the same time, is it interacting with the other parts of the organization in a healthy manner? And when it comes down to it, I look at three things, people, process, and technology and tools, right? Technology and tools to me are the same thing. But are you, do you have the right people in the bus in the right seats? Do you have the right processes for them to follow so that they get the most out of the work that they're putting into it? And do they have the tools that they need in order to get their job done? And so when you apply that tripod of people, processes, and technology to every area of the business, whether it's finance, whether it's sales, it doesn't really matter. And you're taking a look at each one and then you're building it a layer at a time and how they interact with each other. That's where you truly find roadblocks. That's where you find what I call chasms, where things just drop and disappear. That's where you find friction and sand in the machine where things just aren't kind of meshing very well. And if you have a good, strong leadership very clear on what the goals are and very clear in terms of we're going to make this thing work as optimally as possible then you start to shovel those things and push them out of the system and suddenly things start to free up so that's how i approach optimization is i don't look at just one area i'm looking at all of the areas and how they work with each other because like a human body you can't just treat one part and expect that the rest of it's going to go along okay no that's a great great explanation um you know really I, I think of it in terms of alignment you know everything has to be aligned you know like your car if it's not aligned um you're not going to get nearly as good a gas mileage and you'll wear out the tires faster mm -hmm. um so yeah so definitely align it um you know your three your tripod um is key because it's it's a holistic thing um you know touches every area of the company so um so that's you know, key. And, you know, we both have a manufacturing background. Mm -hmm. And I think that manufacturing is a lot of it's about optimization. So, um, and you can actually see it. So um, it's easier to take that back to um, non manufacturing businesses and, and think of them in that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're starting out, um, you, you probably see something similar um, when you're starting out working with someone. Many times the problem they have is not the problem that they think it is. And, you know, how do you go about, you know, figuring out, um, you know, what needs to be done in terms of optimization? What's your first step? You know, my first step is, of course, you know, as with anything, you've got to diagnose the patient. So when I come into, you know, that's what we do. We get contracted to come in and really optimize systems, um, especially those in the back office. I have an entire checklist. And if you think of the first time when you go to a doctor, because I'm going to keep going back to that physician's training because it's so useful and powerful. When you first sit down with your physician the first time, you know, it a usually takes you forever to get in for a new patient, right? It's like, oh yeah, well, we'll see you in three months. We have an opening then, so you're you know waiting to get in. But that's when they spend a lot of time and sit down with you and do this thing called a review of systems. And they're asking you for your history, 
what you know what's led up to where you are today what about your family how are they you know health wise or what are some of the things that are running in the family how about yourself and then you know they go through a system review you know like your your heart your lungs your blood pressure your organ functions and all that and we do that exact same thing so we have a checklist of things where we'll sit down with you know a prospect for the first time and say okay tell me the answers to these questions, right? So there are a lot of questions and it usually takes, you know, I want to say an not a long time because like you, you've been doing this for a while, you begin to see the same patterns. And so experience really helps. Um, and we specialize in certain industries. So, you know, it's easy for us to recognize, okay, well, we think there's a problem here, but in a very general sense, it's a very exhaustive diagnostic to go through every part of the organization how it's generally working right now, how it's not working right now. And this also is exactly how you implement ERP systems, by the way, because you're going in and you're gonna change the entire infrastructure of the IT, you know, everywhere that it touches. And in these days, information is everything. It, you know, there isn't a company that can run without computers, without data capture, without information. And so how those data flows work with each other, how information is shared amongst each other in the organization. It is amazing how many times I go in and they'll say, yeah, we have this system and this system and this system, and they're all siloed. They're not talking to each other. They're not sharing data with each other. They're off in their own. Sales has their you know, uh, CRM, they're working with leads and finance has its accounting system and, and customer success has its customer success system. And in the end, these are all you know, sharing, should be sharing the same information. So we're looking for where is data not flowing? Where is information not being produced? Who is also part of this, but I actually look at that last, to be honest, Andrew, is it's not so much to me, the people, as it is more focused on the process and the technology first, because in my experience, pretty much everybody I've run into wants to do a good job, right? It's, it's not like you walk into a company with, you have it in mind, like, I'm going to do a bad job here. No, you go in because you want to do a good job. And so it could be very well that you're trying to do a good job in say the customer success department, but you come from a background that doesn't really suit you to that. So maybe we need to you know, find somebody else to do that or find another place in the organization for you. So it really is, you know, as I said, a holistic approach, but it starts off with very much a diagnostic. You have to understand what's wrong with your patient first, and you have to look at all the systems together and things like checklists. If you ever watch, you know, like a, 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 an airplane, like the, in the cockpit, my brother happens to be a pilot. So it's a, an easy analogy for me. The checklist that he has in order to get a jet ready to take off in order to, you know, transport 500 people to the next location, you know, it's very exhaustive and they go through a lot of training to make sure everything is done exactly right. Because obviously you don't want plane crashes. In manufacturing, you don't want a line shut down or you don't want defective parts to escape your organization and then they show up at the customer and now the customer is really upset and they throw you into quarantine. Or in um, computer programming, you don't want bad code to go out there, so with bugs, and so the software is not working the way it's supposed to. Um, in finance, you'd want to be sending out invoices that have the wrong information on them and you're, you're not capturing all the revenue that you should be. So there's all sorts of examples of things where it can go wrong um, and it really just takes that holistic approach of looking at the entire system and coming down with, a, a, if you will, a diagnosis and say, here's the lever point that we go for first. And we're always looking for those really powerful leverage points, which is 
you know, we're seeing a problem here, and this is what I call the, the difference between symptoms and causes, right? <clears throat> As a society, I think we tend to a little bit too much treat symptoms without looking at causes. You know, I have a headache, so I'm going to take a Tylenol for it. Well, why do you have the headache in the first place? Is it because you didn't drink enough water today and you're dehydrated? Is it because you've had too much caffeine? Is it because you've been under tremendous amount of stress because, you know, whatever is going on in your life? So instead of looking more at the what's causing the headache, we just like, let's take a pill and take care of it. Um, and high blood pressure, same thing. If somebody has high blood pressure. Maybe they're under stress. Maybe their diet's off. Maybe they're overweight. They're not exercising enough, but it's too easy to just prescribe a pill for that. So I try to take away from the looking at symptoms because the symptom, as you said, is usually not the problem. That's just the manifestation of the problem. So, hey, we're getting a lot of customer returns. Well, let's go fix that. Well, let's start with why is that happening in the first place? Because if you don't really understand fundamentally why this is happening, you're not going to you know, cure the problem. And so I'll go back to something that my Japanese uh, senseis taught me a long time ago, which they, you've probably heard this before. It's the five whys. Um, you ask a question, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? Why did that happen? And you go at least five levels deep into the why to really start getting deep into where did this problem really come from? Okay, excellent. So yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, a lot of times we see the symptoms and that's usually what people think you need to work on. But, um, you know, if you work on them and it's not the root cause, they're just gonna come back. So, you know, definitely that. So now, you know, when you're optimizing and working with someone, um, what is it like once it's optimized? You know, you know what it's like before it's optimized because there's mm -hmm. a, little bit, a little bit of dysfunction. So after it's optimized, how does that, how do things change for them? And, you know, as a business owner, as what have you done for them and how has their life changed? So what it looks like when it's optimized is, you know, one of the first things that's going to pop out um, in the analysis is how many times is the same information, the same data, I should say, being entered, right? So let's take the example of we start with a marketing lead and we've got information, right, about that particular lead. And this is a hot lead. And so we, we throw it over the fence, as it were, to sales. Now, sales has to type it into their, their, you know, their, their lead tracking system. And so they gather all sorts of information. And, you know, maybe it's a fairly lengthy sales cycle. A lot of times with enterprise software, for example, it could take, you know, weeks to months. And during that sales process, sales is gathering all sorts of useful information. What are the pain points that the client is experiencing? What are the problems that they're having? What is the value that our organization brings to solving their problems? And sales is gathering all this information and they close the deal. And then what they do is they throw the contract to finance and they tell customer success, okay, these guys are ready to go. Well, now customer success takes over and they go through another process where they're saying, okay, tell us why you're a customer of ours. Essentially, it's like, tell us what your problem is. You know, we're going to go take a look at your systems. Meanwhile, all this information is in sales and could have been shared throughout the process. So customer success is left with having to start over. So you see this, what I call the restart each time. Marketing starts it, then sales starts it, then customer success starts it, right? And in that entire process, every time that you restart a process, you introduce error, right? 
it's like the game of telephone, right? We all know this game. Like you tell one person and by the time it gets around the, the campfire, you know, what used to be a, you know, fishing story turns into, you know, a bear hunting story or something crazy like that. The same thing works. So what I see prior to optimization is multiple points of data entry, multiple capture of data in different systems and a lack of sharing. Once the systems are optimized and they're all talking to each other, you see a single point of data entry. And each time that that data is at, goes through the system, more data may be added to it, but it's the same record. It's the same thing. It goes all the way through. So you're taking from awareness in lead to renewal when the customer comes back to you and renews their contract. That entire customer journey, and that's a really powerful tool if you haven't done one, is a describing a customer journey from the point of awareness to renewal. Every step in the process, how that goes, how that information is shared, how it's passed through the systems. So when we're done, we see an optimized system. It's a smooth flow of data and information through all systems. It's the same information. It's not being entered in more than one time. And the information when it does go into the system is being entered in accurately. So that to me and the other end when you come out is you end up with more productivity with your workforce internally because they're not having to chase different people for different information. So they're not wasting time. You end up with happier customers because it's very clear what the success criteria are for the customer from the day when they first become aware of you to the time when you renew them. Because you know, when they're renewing that, obviously they're happy enough to come back to you for more business. So clearly you've done something right. So getting to a single point of data of entry, having a very clearly defined customer journey, those to me are probably the most critical things that when we're done and comes out of the system, we can see that working. And the, the other benefit, and this is something that I think isn't really addressed enough, is happier people work better, right? You know, if you go to work and you're grinding your teeth because oh, you know, I really wish I could get that information out of sales, they just won't give it to me, right? That gives you a kind of a low self-satisfaction in terms of your job, where if your job becomes easier and you have the tools that you need and you have the information you need and people respect your part of the organization in terms of how it all fits, suddenly your job satisfaction increases. And that shows up in things like lower absenteeism because people under higher stress, they take more sick days. It shows up in lower turnover because higher people stay with the companies because frankly, pay is not the most important thing. Okay. It's usually how your boss treats you is the most important thing when it comes to why people leave a job. You know, we're hearing about the great resignation that's going on right now. What's the cause of all that? People are unhappy with where they are. They're not being treated with respect. They don't have ownership of their jobs. So, Again, it comes back to that holistic look. It's not just numbers. There are people behind every single number. And are those people happy with what they do? So we see higher morale. We see lower turnover. We see increased profitability. We see higher customer satisfaction scores and what are called net promoter scores, if you're familiar with that term. So it really does show up when you do these systems optimizations. And in the end, profitability going up that just returns value to shareholders and to owners and of course increases the value of the business. Okay. No, definitely. So there's really no reason why you shouldn't do it. Why don't most people do it? I think it's kind of a, I call it the discomfort zone, right? We're all familiar with our comfort zones, right? We, we like doing this, but I think especially if you're an entrepreneur, um, let's face it. Most people do not go into, don't go out and start their own businesses. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of a unique mindset. 
Um, but you go in and you start doing something and maybe there's something not working right. And you just kind of put up with it, right? That's why I call it the discomfort zone. And suddenly you keep adding these discomforts. And it's kind of like that old adage about the frog in the pot of cold water. You like that story, right? You know, they're not, they don't know that they're in a pot of cold water on a stove until it's too late. And that's kind of the same thing that happens with too many entrepreneurs and business owners is that they're not aware of how uncomfortable their life has become. And so they've gotten used to this level of discomfort and they think that's normal. It's like, well, this is the way businesses are. Well, the fact is that's not the way businesses are. There are better ways to do things. And also, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I've, I've come across this way too often that the, the CEO or the founder, because they're the expert in what they, ha they have done, too often they think they're the expert in all the areas. Um, a real true leader is not somebody who knows everything. The true leader is somebody who knows people who know the things that need to get done because no one of us can do everything. And so to me, it's get out of, it's, it's not get out of your comfort zone. It's get out of your discomfort zone because that's where you're stuck. And you just think, Hey, this is the way that things are. This is the way businesses run. It's not, you just need a different perspective to come in and say, here's actually the better way to do it. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, having much smoother processes, both internally and externally, you know, makes a difference on your customer side, but also your engagement of employees. Mm -hmm. um, you know, definitely, you know, I've found that whenever you tend to make improvements somewhere, the results are greater than you expect because there's a lot of, you know, lost efficiency and, you know, waste in many places that you didn't even realize it was mm -hmm. um so you know i've worked with people you i'm sure you have too um you know been able to double their profitability on the same sales because there was that much um efficiency and you know avoiding waste or rework um mm -hmm. that that was done and they'd have never imagined that so it means they were really making half as much money as they should have for a long time. And um, so that's a good reason to do that. Um, one other thing I find, and, and you probably do too, is, you know, a lot of times the managers and the owners are spending a lot of time trying to get people to do what they want them to do. But, you know, if you have processes and systems, people already know what to do when they do it. And, you know, you find that that's a lot easier. Um, I don't know if you're a fan of Michael Gerber, who right. wrote the E-Myth, but, mm -hmm. you know, he says, you know, you can't manage people, but you can manage processes. And, you know, that's what optimization is all about. So, you know, we've talked a good about optimization, giving people an idea of sort of what that can look like and how you do it. Um, we're going to shift gears. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, scaling because, you know, that's really the goal of most businesses. So, you know, the first thing is I like to define things because a lot of people have different understandings of what things are. So what does scaling mean? To me? Okay. Um, to me, scaling comes down to very simply, you have a, we're used to growth, right? There's steady growth. And I don't know if you've heard the term, there's hockey stick growth, right? Where your revenues are going like this, steady, just increasing, increasing. 
But then maybe you reach some sort of inflection point, and now those sales are really starting to ratchet up. So to me, scaling means adding a zero. So if you're at 5 million, to me, scaling your business is going to 50 million. Or if you're at 50,000, scaling is going to 500,000. And the rule that I apply in systems and design is if the system works now, add a zero to the volume and tell me if you think it's still going to work. So a lot of times when we first start out, everything's manual, right? There's a lot of handwriting, you know, so I, I use sticky notes all the time, for example, or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, it, in the beginning, you're the solopreneur, you're the single person running it, you're the chief cook and bottle washer. And so you've got it all in your head. And now you've got to hire that first employee. And now you've got to train them. And you're going to make assumptions about what they know or they don't know. And then you're going to hire the next employee, the next employee. If you don't have a pretty clear plan on how you as an owner are going to dissociate the parts of you into the various different parts of the organization, that's going to start to cause you problems in scaling. That's number one. Number two is reliance on manual systems. We have computers everywhere. We have software everywhere. You can buy a computer program to do just about anything. Okay. So you should be looking at ways where instead of bodying it up, like throwing a person at the problem, is there a system? Is there a software solution out there that can help me with this particular problem? And the other one is to basically scaling means rapid growth, right? So if you're going to grow rapidly, do you have the capital? Do you have the resources in order to do that in a way where you don't stumble and fall on yourself? And I can go back to two examples in particular um, in my, you know, in my experience where the scaling suddenly started to become, you know, really stressful for everybody. And it was because of a lack of real planning. To me, scaling is achievable with planning, thinking ahead, thinking in terms of, okay, if I'm at 50,000 in revenue right now, hey, I want to get to half a million. Well, what does that mean as far as people, processes, and tools and technology to get there? And do you have that really kind of clearly laid out in, in your world for that to happen? So to me, I look at scaling as adding a zero and then adding another zero, and then ideally adding another zero, right? So Hewlett and Packard, they started in a garage. How big did they get? You know, obviously before things went south, but you've got a lot of these examples where you have two, one, two people starting off in something and suddenly they have 20 people. And then suddenly they're trying to get 200 people, right? So you're adding a zero at each stage of the game. So to me, that's how I define scaling. It's, it's, the term is logarithmic. If you've ever heard that term in math or science, the logarithmic scale is one where you're actually adding exponentially you know, your growth. Okay. No, definitely. Um, I always say failing to plan is planning to fail. Okay. And, you know, in many cases, it can be as easy to go out of business by growing too fast and not being optimized and ready as it is by not selling enough to survive. So, um, you know, definitely it's important to do those things. And many times it's really hard to do them yourself because um, you need it, you know, a you know, outside um, perspective, as well as, you know, it helps to, you know, have someone who's done it before and mm -hmm. know how it's done with you. So, um, so, I mean, I like what you said about scaling. Um, there's a, there's a second part that I think that is, is key. Um, you talked a lot about the revenues part, but 
you know, also when you when I think of economies of scale, um, you know, also as you grow, you should be, you know, you should be more profitable on a marginal level. So for every additional dollar sales, mm-hmm. your expenses should decrease. So you so you should make more profit on it. So it's not only just growing revenues fast, but it's even um, within that um, your profits grow faster as well. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, or your profitability increases a lot more per item sold. So um, that's a great combination because you can really maximize profits that way. So, mm-hmm. um, so definitely. So when you're scaling that, so, you know, te- we've got technology um, and it's amazing the technology and support you can have as a small business owner that will let you be able to do a lot of things that otherwise you'd have never been able to do. Just like, you know, this show, um, you know, I'm, I'm running it all myself and, you know, it's, it's, you know, a lot of bells and whistles, you know, five years ago, this probably wouldn't have been possible. Um, definitely 15 years ago. Um, and it seems like technology is progressing that fast everywhere um you know this is a SaaS platform that we're using Streamyard. um so you know SaaS is, is your industry and you know where you work with companies um in it so can you talk a little bit about kind of some of the best ways to look at um taking advantage of technology in this day and age mm, i mean it's some of the best ways is you just have to stay on top of it because it's changing so much. Um, you know, I take a look at, you know, let's take a look at what you and I do on the finance and the accounting side of things. You know, there's the the stories of, you know, guys and guys typically back then with the, you know, the green eye shades and putting everything down on paper, right? And now we have QuickBooks and QuickBooks is cheap, right? It's 50 bucks a month or something like that. And it can do what it used to take 10 to 15 accountants to do. And that's just one example. But there are other solutions out there. Maybe there's something better than QuickBooks. I haven't found it yet. But I imagine sooner or later, somebody's going to come up with something that's better. You know, it's a better mousetrap. So number one is just what I call situational awareness, which is whatever tool you're using today, you should be every so often periodically checking, is this still the best tool or are there other better alternatives? Okay, so that's number one is just to be aware of the fact that because the churn of technology is increasing and seems to be going on and on and on is to be aware of. And since you can't do it all your own, that's where I rely on, say, you know, a director of customer success to tell me what's the best solution out there for customer success software or sales operations. What's the best CRM out there? Finance and accounting, budgeting. All of the things that we use to do by hand, by punching something in, sooner or later, somebody's going to come away with a way to do it in an automated fashion. And AI and machine learning is where I expect a lot of this to come from. Um, Oxford, I think it was Oxford University, probably about 15 or 20 years ago, put out a very startling paper. Um, And they predicted at the time, you know, we're talking 2005, that by 2050, half of all the jobs in the United States would have been automated out of existence. And that's an astonishing number. And the one that the one that struck me at the time was in the top 10 to be automated out of existence was accounting. 
And so what you're looking for is something that's very highly rules-based, something that's really, you know, follows a set, a logical set of rules. That's very easy for machine learning to take over and do. So if you have people performing a function right now that's fairly structured and rules-based in terms of information, you can bet there's somebody out there thinking about a way to automate that and turn that into software. And you just need to keep your ears and eyes open for those kinds of opportunities. Okay. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, uh, I'm always learning new things. I actually learned about a new platform yesterday. And, you know, a lot of things, you know, it might be good to even just dream like, this would be great if I could have it and then look it up on Google because it's <laughs> probably out there somewhere. Um, you know, I, I've been, you know, written a couple books, but now they have translate um, transcription software that is like perfect. Um, mm -hmm. So there's different things that you can use to, to access um, and really boost your productivity and your capabilities. So. Oh yeah. One of the, I just found this out um, just a few days ago that you can have a little app and you can dictate your emails in Gmail. Now, I, I, I'll be the first one to say, I hate writing, okay? It's a painful process for me. I love speaking, I love talking to people, but when it comes to sitting here pushing plastic and putting things down, it's like, please, can somebody else do this for me? So I dictate text messages on my phone, okay? I don't like typing them. So everywhere I can find some sort of app that allows me to dictate, to speak into, and it types for me, Oh, thank you very much. That's a great safer for me, right? And so that's just one of those things where it's like, you said, there's got to be a better way to do this. I'm sitting here typing these emails. I'm like, God, these emails take me so long to type. There's got to be a transcription out there. And sure enough, all I had to do is Google it. And yes, there was. You just add this little app to your Chrome and because I use Chrome and there you go. So mm -hmm. it, it there's all sorts of ways. It just takes getting out of that discomfort zone and saying, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable doing this. There's got to be a better way of doing this. And, you know, thankfully we'd have things like Google uh, where we can do a search and, you know, the World Wide web being as amazing it is right now. I mean, this is science fiction writ large. I'm a big science fiction fan. I watched the original Star Trek when I was a kid, um, you know, on reruns, I wasn't there for the original, um, <laughs> but for me, that was like, you know, Spock would speak into the computer and ask it a question and it would say, oh, you know, it, it would come back in this, you know, nice sultry voice saying, you know, it'll have an answer in 24 hours, right? Well, I can ask Google the same question right now and have the answer in 24 milliseconds. You know, it's that we're living in a world of science fiction and we're not even aware of how much science fiction we're living in compared to, you know, 20 years ago even. Right. You know, yeah. cell phones 20 years ago, <laughs> remember the bricks, right? Those big, huge things that you'd hold up to your ear and you took two hands and you had to scream in it. And now I can watch Disney on my phone. You know, it's like, it's just never, I, every time I pause and think about all of the technology that we have coming at us to make our lives faster, easier, all of that can be applied to not just my personal life, but to clients and to their businesses. Mm -hmm. so constantly challenging ourselves internally in our company to say, okay, we've been doing it this way for six months, even. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a faster way to do this? Is there a more, is there a tool out there that can help us with this? And lo and behold, we find one. Or if not, you're like, hey, maybe we should develop that. Mm -hmm. Do a product. 
That's what SAS, see, that's the nature of SAS. You know, it SAS gets a lot of attention because there's so much venture capital going into it. And that's, it's an industry I love working in. Um, you talk about profits. There's no such thing as profits in SAS startups, right? Everybody's a joke, <laughs> right? There's these, everybody's running at a loss because they're running off of their venture capital. But what they're doing is SAS really does two things, okay? It automates, so it reduces human uh human labor costs but it increases information right it's not just that it automates something it also opens up doors of understanding and suddenly before where you've had you know data in different bits and bytes to me i look at data as different from information right data is the hard pieces of information uh it, that data are the hard pieces that are assembled into something that's called information you know i can have a thousand invoices right that's all data well, what are those invoices telling me? Oh, sales are increasing over time, or this particular product is selling better than others, okay? And it, by the way, it has a better gross margin than others. So maybe we should be focusing on pushing this product out the door more because it's gonna have better gross margin, which gives us more cash flow for the rest of the business. And so that to me is the first stopping point is how do I automate to get my gross margin up? Because when you you know this is everybody in this call knows this gross margin is all the money that you use to run the rest of your business, and so the more dollars you can squeeze out of gross margin has a huge magnifying effect down the stream, and especially in automotive manufacturing that's where I grew up right it was automotive manufacturing it was like I said squeeze every last tenth of a cent out of it, because when you're producing a billion parts or a million parts. A tenth of a cent multiplied times a million is suddenly a lot of money. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So, um, you know, we've talked about um, basically scaling now. We talked about optimization. Um, let's talk about maximizing the value of your business. How does one do that? What does that mean? And what are the drivers of the value of someone's business? So if we're talking the monetary value of a business in software, um, a lot of times this comes down to what's called the annualized recurring revenue. It's And to me, it's a quality of earnings, really. Um, and I think this is really true of most businesses. Number one, one of the first things that somebody's going to look at you for an acquisition or an investment is your growth and your top line. Then they're going to look at your gross margin. How much cash are you throwing off of that activity? And then they're going to look at the efficiency of the operating expenses, everything below the gross margin line. So you really have to kind of take a look at what industry you're in. But you know, let's just use software for an example because it's, it's, it's available to us as an easy example. The first thing is revenue growth. And it's not single time sales. It's repeat sales, the repeatability of the sales. Not only that, are the customers coming back and renewing at the end of their contract? You know, Zoom all of a sudden takes off because of COVID. Right. Zoom's been out there for a while. You know, G Google Meets has been out there for a while. Um, you know, there's other platforms out there. I can't remember GoToMeeting and whatnot. So it's not like video conferencing all of a sudden, you know, came out of nowhere at COVID. But Zoom is the one that really took off. Well, why is that? Because it was easy. It's super easy. Right. You go in, you just plug and play. So it's revenue it's ease of adaptability, it's gross margin. So you really kind of have to, it's not like one metric to increase the value of your business. Again, go back to that systemic holistic approach. Is the body healthy? You could be the smartest person in the world, but if you're, you know, 
dying because you're unhealthy, you know, you're not going to be, you know, around for very long. What good is that, right? You want to have longevity built into your business just as much as you want to have built into your body. And having a healthy business and a healthy body, it really is the same thing. They're both worth more. And it also comes down to what's the business? Are you in the business to exit and get a big payday? Or are you in the business in order to make a living and, you know, use that and continue to be in that business for a long time? I work in an industry right now where, you know, the idea is we're going to exit in five years. We're going to exit in three years. These people are looking to grow a company, get that revenue as fast as possible, get that revenue high as fast as possible and get a multiple off of that revenue and exit and get a payday. That's a very different business strategy for somebody who says, I want to grow a company where I'm employing people and we're going to be doing this for 10 or 20 years. So value is also in the eye of the CEO and the founder. Are you in the business in order to get a big payday and an exit? Or are you in the business to grow a company and stay with it for a long time? Because your value at that point in the first one is the paycheck at the end. To me, the value in the second one is giving people rewarding work to do and finding, you know, employment for people and supporting their families and, and doing things like that. It's not like they're exclusive, but they're different in terms of how you approach the business. Okay. No, that's, that's a great point. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you want to be a business owner, but, you know, having a business is, it should improve your life. You know, mm-hmm. you're not there to run, to have a business if it's not making your life better. So, you know, it's important to keep your goals in mind and, you know, what you're working towards. So, um, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, sometimes when I think about maximizing the value of your business and you sort of hit on a few things, but, um, you know, if we look at some of the root drivers, you know, a lot of times it's growth, like you're talking about. Um, but another thing is low reducing risk. So you mm-hmm. talked about recurring revenues and any other things, you know, the more risk you can reduce and still grow and then profitability, um, not as much so in the, um, high tech world, because, you know, you're looking at buying based on growth of revenues, but, in traditional businesses and if you're going to stay in business for 20 years you you better find a way to be profitable (laughs) so um you know that maximizes you know that's you know those you know a lot mostly anything that you do that's going to make your business more valuable falls into one of those three buckets Mm -hmm. um and and so you know that's really what it's all about um you know this hour goes really fast. We got like five minutes left. Wow. <laughs> um, so it, it, it always sneaks up on us, but, um, but it's always great to, to do this. That's why I love doing this every week. So what I like to have guests do is take a minute um, and think about three key things that we talked to, talked about this evening that you can, that you want to leave people with that they can start implementing and working on immediately within their business because you know it's one thing to talk about stuff but it's another thing to you know take away something that can benefit you immediately so um you know take a minute to think about it i'm going to show a quick video and um we'll come back and um you can share those things fair enough fair enough okay great so so anthony 
we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff this this evening, um, but you know we want to boil it down to to three key things that uh, people can take away. So, what would you what would you say um, people should think about when they leave this evening? I think number one, you need to very clearly define the customer journey. I think that is probably the single most important thing because without your customers, you're nothing, right? Right? They're not, you know, nobody's going to give you money. So very clearly understanding how does a customer become aware of us? How do we understand whether that's the right fit for us? All the way through every stage of delivery, support, and renewal. So being very clear how that works. I really counsel all of my clients. You know, they say, well, you're a CFO. It's, yeah, I'm a CFO, but everything you do in the business has a financial impact. So having a very clearly defined customer journey from beginning to end to renewal, I think is critical. Number two, everywhere where you're seeing same data being entered more than once, figure out how to collapse that into a single point because there's so many opportunities for data to go wrong. If you capture it one time and you capture it right, then you don't have to worry about it ever again. So really focusing on number two point is really focusing on is the data I need in order to run my business for me to get the numbers that I need in order to understand my company. Is it being captured in a very most efficient way? And then the third point I would say is does if you add a zero to whatever you're doing right now, does it still work? So whatever process you're running right now, if it's at hundreds or thousands, if you want to grow your business, you should be planning today for, I need to add a zero to this. Do I have the people, the processes, and the tools and technology in place to add that zero? Excellent. Well, tremendous um, perspective, valuable advice. Um, it's great having you on the show. I appreciated it. And just getting to know more about you and what you're doing, um, you know, definitely, um, you know, this is good. You know, always great to um, have you here. Um, you know, great um, feedback from the audience as well. So, um, so perfect. So, thank you for joining. Hang on for a minute. I'm just going to close things out and we'll chat. As always, it's you know, educational, not just for you but for me. Um, always enjoy talking with business owners and you know, um, business. Um, thought leaders and really kind of just getting their perspectives and their ideas on how you can be more successful. Look forward to catching you next week. And until then, always remember that the more you know, the faster your business will grow. Thank you for listening to Leadership Live at 805, Talking Small Business. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Leadership Live is one of the many valuable resources provided through the Small Business Pro University, empowering business owners to learn, profit, and grow. Find out more at sbprou.com.